today on Ag News Daily. Well, it's a typical southern Minnesota farm, a lot of corn and soybeans. Uh, it is a farm with variable soils, so we do have a couple hundred acres of CRP on the farm. Uh, it, the farm requires a fair amount of conservation practices, so uh, we have been doing that for a number of years. Well, welcome back to the podcast, listeners. We're here right in the middle of the week, Wednesday, October 4th. Tanner and Delaney here to hit some headlines before a good interview conversation today. Did you get some rain overnight, Delaney? I don't think we did, unfortunately. Tanner, did you? I got wet pavement. It didn't look like it amounted to much at this point in time, but uh, we will take what we got. Yeah, it's kind of weird how Blaine, my husband, said, I was looking at the radar last night because we could use a little bit of a break when they've been running so hard. But he said, the storms are going to break up at 35. We're not going to get rain. And sure enough, he was right. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I saw on social media a couple of different places. uh, Some farmers in Iowa have been disking around fires that started behind combines, unfortunately. Um, We had a fire south, not we, as in just the neighborhood, had a fire south of us yesterday and the dry conditions certainly make it very easy to start that but we've got some thunderstorms that will produce rain and lightning unfortunately that will hit parts of Missouri and Illinois uh, we're looking at that for continued showers throughout today in the possibility of tomorrow tomorrow some of the storms may turn severe as the evening pushes on and it cools off the storms are expected to continue through tomorrow in northern Indiana and Ohio Isolated storms are possible tonight as that storm pushes forward. Severe is not expected, but localized heavy rain could be possible. So it'll be interesting to see if anything shakes out of that, Delaney. Absolutely, Tanner. Well, we spoke with Jim Rothermick last week on the podcast about land values, and we got some fresh land sales numbers here today from recent farmland sales in Arkansas. Indiana, Kansas, Michigan, Ohio, and Virginia. We saw a farm in Arkansas sell for an average of $8,900 per acre. The total sale was 145 acres and also had a nearby cotton gin, not part of the sale, but was close to a cotton gin as well as a major highway. That farm sold for a whopping $1.48 million, Tanner. In Indiana, we saw a 61-acre farmland sale for $672,000, just over $11,000 per acre. In Sac County, we saw an online auction selling 155 acres in two parcels for about 2.76 million. Prices ranged on that one from 17 to 18 and a half. And the story continues, Tanner. One in Iowa in Humboldt, totaling 309 acres, sold to an investor, institutional investor, for about $3.79 million. Average acre price was twelve, just over $12,000 there. So really interesting to see some of these farmland sales. The trend, as Jim said, certainly is not showing any sort of weakness here. Yeah, that is. That's certainly interesting. We are also seeing farmers, though, being a little bit less optimistic University's Ag Economic Barometer. <laughs> Purdue University's Ag Economic Barometer report came out. The barometer fell to a reading of 106 from the previous month's 115. 
to remind our listeners, 100 is considered neutral. The index fell 10 points uh, as the current conditions index fell even further. Current conditions are pegged at a 98, so below neutral. Expectations were from the index to drop. When you look at the future expectations, it dropped from 109 or dropped to 109 from 119 a month earlier. Producers are concerned with the situation on their farm, basically focused on weakening prices for major crops. Ongoing concerns about high production creating large outputs, as well as interest rates continuing to rise. The decline in September left the barometer and <laughs> overall down from year over year. Farm, for, farm financial performance index was unchanged. Farm capital investment rose as producers are looking to make some extra pushes to increasing their spending. About 75% of the surveys said that now is a bad time to make large investments in the machinery due to high machinery costs and higher interest rates. Those believe that it is a good time to hold cash and plan for the future. So it looks like their optimism might be escaping a little bit in this month's report. Well, Tanner, the Center for Food Safety or groups led by that one in particular tried to get the EPA to, or petitioned the EPA, I should say, to do a better job of looking at pesticide usage. The EPA rejected a 2017 petition last week from these environmental groups that basically asked the federal agency to require testing and data on whole pesticide formulations and mixtures rather than just specific ingredients. The original petition that dates back to 2017 asked the EPA to account for the potential toxicological effects of the ingredients used and the additives in the testing of tank mixes, specifically in how they impacted humans and also animals, as well as the environment. Of course, uh, thinking about some of the claims that pesticides make, you know, our biological systems change, have us uh, more or less susceptible to certain diseases, etc., but the EPA explained their reasoning for denying this original petition in a letter on September 29th to the Center for Food Safety. They said the EPA explains in its response to the petition that the agency appropriately assesses as part of the review the impacts on human health and the environment and why the additional testing that the petition seeks would not, in general, provide a better picture of the risks of a pesticide product. Of course, this was disappointing to those environmental groups, Tanner, as they were really looking to make have the EPA make regulation changes based on claims that research shows when pesticides combine active and inert ingredients, the mixtures can increase pesticide toxicity, ecotoxicity, and human exposure. However, the EPA said that simply was not true, and they would not be changing any sort of testing processes for pesticides, at least at this time. Wow, that's interesting as far as that goes. Got some new technology in the news. Case New Holland, CNH Industrial, made an investment into robotic fruit harvesting. A California-based startup, Advanced Farm Technologies, received a minority investment from CNH Industrial. 
They design and build robotic harvesters for fruits such as apple and strawberries. Their first harvester was for strawberries, which launched last year. They then created the apple harvester that is being used in Washington. The two platforms use a lot of the same technology, putting computer vision to work, learning to continuing to learn as it picks the fruit. The apple picker features multiple robotic arms. Each harvester has a suction cup with grippers to be able to safely handle the fruit. CNH's announcement of their investment in the company says this is a focus on high value crops. Currently 70% of the U.S. strawberries are hand harvested and 46% of U.S. apples are hand picked. CNH leaders are excited about the advancement that this company brings to the industry and they are inspired by its innovations. They're looking to continue to broaden the applications for this technology to help create a more autonomous and sustainable farming future for the fruits industry, Delaney. Tater, we saw the first country officially kick off a bird flu vaccination plan. Any guesses on which country that might be? Ooh, uh, no, is it European? It is. Good guess. It is uh, France has officially kicked off a vaccine vaccine program specifically for their duck herds. They kicked that off on Monday to try and stem the virus that has killed millions of birds worldwide. But this move was met with some trade restrictions as the United States, Japan and many other countries have went forward and banned any sort of French duck imports coming into the country. France has been among the worst of the countries affected by avian influenza. And so as we look at why the United States and Japan have put these bans in effect, they said that even though France will be giving shots to ducks across the entire country, the vaccination makes it hard to tell if a duck is truly sick or not. So when you think about importing foie gras or just duck products in general, the vaccinations may not show signs of infect or vaccinated birds may not show signs of infection, meaning it's going to be really hard to determine whether the virus is in a flock. And therefore the USDA said on Friday last week, they simply can't accept uh, birds coming from France. But like I said, this they are the first country here to really put together a country-wide vaccination plan. And this bird flu vaccination will in France will initially be limited to ducks, which apparently are their most vulnerable population, with uh, about 8% of the total French poultry output in 2022 having ducks and uh, in infected ducks at that, Tanner. So about 64 million ducks at 2,700 farms will need to be vaccinated over the next year with a total cost of nearly 100 million euros or 105 million US dollars. So about 85% of that is going to be financed by the state. But interesting move there by France. And I'm sure all other countries are going to be watching to see how this goes as they might be following suit here soon. Wow. Do you know any duck farmers, Delaney? I was just thinking about that. I'm going to have to really scrape into my Rolodex to see if I can find any French <laughs> duck farmers, Tanner. Uh, I know some French farmers, but I don't know about ducks. Yeah. 
Well, that's very interesting. I've just got some political headlines to finish uh, out the conversation for today. The House is currently seeking a new speaker after McCarthy was ousted yesterday. The House will now need to elect a new speaker as Tuesday's ousting took place. The tally was 216 to 210, with eight Republicans siding with the Democrats to remove him from his speakership. McCarthy said that he will not run again, and there is no clear alternative, but the race for a potential successor has already started. The vote is expected to take next week. However, a lot of criticism happening because the ousting happened with no reserve plan. So this ultimately will pretty much create a non-action in the House for a week to 10 days as this process happens to elect a new speaker. This is not great as there's only 45 days. Well, now we're looking at 42 days left in the budget spending bill that was put together. The White House called, called on the GOP to elect a new speaker very quickly. Republican Patrick McHenry of North Carolina is the interim speaker. The fight over speakership is going to create a major escalation in the ten, you know, of tensions within the House itself. There is more infighting that will probably relieve it, release itself this week as we continue to see what is happening there. But it's going to have an effect on moving items forward and not going to create anything faster at this moment. It may actually slow down. I wanted to get a Russia and Ukraine update. Ukraine has been shipping grain out of their ports in the Black Sea. We are continuing to monitor that process. Three of the Ukrainian ports are accepting vessels. This is not under any type of protection except for military protection. Russia, which exited the Black Sea Grain Deal Initiative, are stating that those ships are entering in at their own risk and are considered fair game. Ukraine has set up a separate sailing corridor, which these ships have been passing through. Ten ships have successfully passed through this far, according to their media reports. We also see that Poland and Lithuania reached an agreement to speed up the movement of grain shipments out of Ukraine, according to the country's military agrarian policy and food. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But that's what I've got for headlines today. Fantastic, Tanner. Well, I think I am out of news here as well, aside from chat and markets for today. So as we take a look at the overnight markets here, corn is trading just a little lower on the board, but soybeans are pushing higher. December corn down a penny and a half at 486. New crop soybeans up seven and three quarters cents at 1280 and a half. Wheat is pushed lower here in the overnights after two days of positive trade. The December Chicago contract down 10 and a quarter cents at 558 and a quarter. Hard red December winter wheat down eight cents at 675 and a quarter. And December spring wheat down seven and a half cents at 718. In the livestock markets, and a quick reminder at where they closed yesterday, December live cattle shed $2.70 at a buck eighty-five sixty-five. November feeder cattle down the limit to close at $2.50.35. And December lean hogs shed $0.42.5 cents yesterday. We'll open this morning at $69.07.5. Tanner, we've started to see this headline pop up in the news, but as of 
I believe Sunday or Saturday, we officially saw the new incoming National Corn Growers Association president step into office. So we're going to be sitting down with him to learn a little bit more about his background and what he plans to do as new president of the NCGA. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, it's our pleasure to have a great guest today. We have Harold Woolley, the brand new president of the National Corn Growers Association. Started right there at the beginning of October. Welcome to the podcast, Harold. Glad to be here. Why don't we start off with uh, letting our listeners know what your tie to agriculture is. Where are you farming at? We farm in South Central Minnesota. The farm is near uh, St. James, Minnesota. Awesome. Awesome. What's that farm look like? Well, it's a typical Southern Minnesota farm, a lot of corn and soybeans. Uh, It is a farm with variable soils. So we do have a couple hundred acres of CRP on the farm. Uh, The farm requires a fair amount of conservation practices. So uh, we have been doing that for a number of years. So Harold, I've always wondered, you know, a lot of folks serve in in state corn grower associations, but to make it all the way to nationals, that's a, that's a big deal. It means your peers must really believe in some of the thoughts and ideas you bring to the corn industry. But for those of our listeners unfamiliar with how the leadership process works, talk to us about, do you have to get elected? Do you have to serve at your state first and then go to nationals? What has the process been like to get here? Well, that is, that is generally the process, and it certainly was for me as well. Uh, a friend of mine encouraged me to run for the board, uh, for the Minnesota Corn Grower Board. I was successfully elected, worked my way up into the leadership position. I served as president of the Minnesota Corn Growers, and, and it was that that experience advocating for Minnesota corn farmers that really led me to want to run for the National Corn Grower Board. So I was successful and, and was eventually elected to the National Board. And, and once again, uh, it is so rewarding to be involved in leadership position and, and be able to effectively advocate for our nation's corn farmers. So, so that was kind of the process that I went through to arrive at this position. Well, I think congratulations are in order. Appreciate you jumping into a leadership role as such. Also for the listeners, could you give a little bit of an overview as to what the National Association oversees? Well, uh, we uh, have a a number of priorities. Uh, You know, advocacy is is certainly uh, significant. And, and our member states also want us to do research and promotion on a national level. You know, each of the individual state grower organizations has their own set of, of programs that they use to, to uh, do research uh, with their individual state universities and uh, promotion with the members, with the public in, in their individual states. But some projects just require a, a national focus and that's where the states turn to NCGA for uh, to, to do those programs. So Harold, as you have just stepped into this role now, what are your priorities going to be here for your term ahead? Well, we have a bunch of issues that we want to work on, you know, of immediate concern is the farm bill. You know, it expired last week on September 30th and we want to get that passed yet this year. You know, December 30th is a deadline that that looms in front of us that uh, 
Congress need, is very well aware of that they need to get this bill passed by then. Um, there has been some dysfunction in, in Congress recently. So uh, we're hoping that, that this rises to the top and, and we get this farm bill passed. So is there anything our listeners or corn grower members can do to help make sure this is a priority? Well, it, it, it always helps for all of our growers to, to be in contact with their individual legislators and impress to them the importance of getting this bill passed. And, and you know, I know that an extension is possible, and but that's really not what we want to do. I mean, there's a number of areas where we can improve the current farm bill, and we need to get that done as a nation. So, Harold, obviously, farm bill is kind of your short-term focus since we do not have one in effect anymore. But past the farm bill, what are you focused on in 2024 and beyond? Well, as we look at the supply and demand balance sheet, we see that we're going to have a, a projected 2 billion bushel carryout at, at the end of this marketing year. So we need to work on increasing the demand for corn. And, and that boils down to three main areas. We need to have a healthy livestock sector. We need to increase the use of ethanol in our nation, and we need to promote our our corn and its uh, products internationally as exports. So as the team looks to take on those three key items, what are some projects that you see coming up that are going to help benefit those categories? Well, on the trade side, you know, we're currently in a dispute with Mexico. We need to get that settled, uh, you know, and I think that the the rules that are in the USMCA agreement clearly favor a positive outcome for this dispute. Uh, the US Trade Representative's Office needs to work its way through the dispute settlement panel. And, and I'm optimistic that, that our corn will be allowed into Mexico. Uh, you know, we have such a good system of transportation to get our corn down to their consumers, their grower, their uh, livestock growers who need our, our corn, that we need to have this system work for both countries to the benefit of, of both countries. So that's, that's one of the things. Um, you know, ethanol accounts for a, a, an awfully lot of corn being run through our ethanol plants. You know, about 40% of our corn goes to an ethanol plant, and and you know a third of that does come back as livestock feed, but it's still it's it's we need to have that ethanol industry uh, functioning properly. Um, we need to have year-round E15. Uh, you know the current system of the presidential waivers to get summertime E15 allowed is it, I don't think that's sustainable. We need to change the law so that that uh, the, our, our E15 marketers know that they have a dependable outlet for E15, on which we call unleaded 88 during the summertime months. We need to get the Next Generation Fuels Act passed. It's been introduced in, in both houses in Congress and we are currently as a, as a group NCGA and our member states working to get more co-sponsors for that legislation. And I think once you get a critical number of co-sponsors, then the committees of jurisdiction are more apt to take up the legislation and, and 
create a path forward to get that across the finish line. Um, that Next Generation Fuels Act would pave the way for higher blends of ethanol to be marketed. It would allow an engine manufacturers to, to design and build the small displacement, high compression turbocharged engines that can use the higher octane that's available provided by higher blends of ethanol. And then a, a little bit farther out on the future is sustainable aviation fuel. You know, you're going to hear NCGA talking about ethanol to jet. You know, that there's tremendous potential there, but we have got to have low carbon scores coming out of our ethanol plants. So our ethanol plants need to be able to do everything they can to reduce their carbon emissions. We on the farm need to reduce our carbon emissions as well so that we can get excellent scores for our, for our ethanol and then it can be converted to sustainable aviation fuel. So those are the few of the things that we're working on on the demand front. Well, it certainly sounds like you have your hands full there, Harold. How are you going to move forward on getting all of these things done and also managing the family farm back in Minnesota? Well, I've largely transitioned that farming operation to my son. So uh, probably this morning, he's a little distressed that I'm not out there helping him, but um, we'll get by on the farm. Um, we have a wonderful staff at NCGA and all of our member states. We're all trying to be on the same page as we move forward on all of these issues. And that's what it takes to get, uh, get uh, issues resolved and accomplishments made. Yeah, so it sounds like a tall order. Do you have big plans for how you and your team are going to stay organized and push forward? Well, it, it takes communication and collaboration in any organization. Uh, I think that's pretty well known. And, and we're certainly uh, capable of working on that and, and all moving together forward. Well, Harold, we certainly thank you for joining us. Uh, and we really wish you the best of luck as the new current NCGA president. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure visiting with you this morning. Well, it was a pleasure meeting Harold as far as uh, thanking him also for his time on our show. His schedule is going to get really busy, so glad that he made it a priority to jump on. That was a good interview. Thanks for lining that up, Delaney. Yeah, I was uh, not realizing when we first reached out, he had just stepped into office. So I feel pretty lucky that we got him so early on. Absolutely. But listeners, we'll have more great conversations for the rest of the week. Make sure you stay tuned. But uh, for today, what do you say? Should we let him go? Let's let him go.